0: I want to welcome you back to Spiritual Awareness with Pastor Davenport. I kind of take care of business each time. So if you're new to our broadcast, we're in Arizona 501C3, a non-profit prayer ministry. So if you're making your tithing or uh, your offering to this ministry, it's, not, it's uh, tax deductible. We are a spirit-filled Bible-believing beacon of light. We are a non-denominational ministry a prayer ministry serving the Lord Jesus Christ both from Gospel Faith Church both in Ash Fork Arizona as well as from the worldwide broadcast studio here in Fort Mojave Arizona where it has been 60 to 70 mile an hour winds saw a motorhome literally the wind pushed it over on its side on top of a little bug Uh, so uh, it's strong winds here today but we're uh we're broadcasting from Fort Mojave, Arizona. We're broadcasting to over 31 different countries and provinces around the world. So wherever you're listening to the sound of my voice, um, I welcome you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's a, a lot of turmoil going on around the world. Oh, there's talk of war, rumors of war. Russia Taiwan uh, China Ukraine United States is, is kind of stretching its its wings out and trying to get in the middle of all of it so I thought we'd pray this uh, midweek service for the various nations and and continents that are right now in turmoil of war father we know that Jesus Christ is our salvation and you are the God that reveals light to the nations the light of your glory for your people And as members of the body of Christ, we are asking you to to give us the nations of the world for an inheritance and the ends of this earth for our possessions. We know that all kings shall fall down before you, for every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. All nations shall serve you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we bring before you today all the nations of the world, every continent of the world, every providence of the world, and every leader that leads no matter where they may be. And we ask you to rebuke our leaders for their sakes, so that we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, that this thing called war shall be settled in a peaceful fashion. We know that they have the buttons to push for nuclear war, and we pray that you would be with those leaders and that they would be mindful of what they are doing we pray that skillful and godly wisdom will enter the heart of each and every leader around the world that knowledge shall be pleasant to them that that discretion will watch over each of them and that understanding will keep them and deliver them from the ways of evil and from the evil men that try to influence them We pray that the upright shall dwell in the governments around the world and that the men and women of integrity, blameless and complete in your sight, Father, shall remain, but that the wicked shall be cut off and the treacherous shall be rooted out. We pray that those in authority win now the wicked from among us and the good and bring the threshing wheel over them and separate the shaft from the grain. For love and kindness and mercy and truth and faithfulness preserve those in authority and their offices are upheld by the people and the people's loyalty. Father, we ask this day that you direct the decisions made by our leaders around the world And that present leaders who are men and women, let them be of discernment. Let them be people of understanding. Let them be people of knowledge of the word. Let them remain in office. Be people of stability. Let their will be the will of God, long and continuing. We pray that the uncompromising righteous will be in authority in the world so that the people of the world can rejoice. We ask these things today in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, yea, we pray for peace to come upon this world in Jesus name the name above all other names in Jesus name we pray in one accord together amen and amen we're going to continue our series the church the body the cross in part three Matthew 16 18 and 19 and I say also unto thee thou art Peter and upon this rock this Petra I will build my church on the revelation that Peter realized I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind upon this earth shall i shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on this earth shall be loosed in heaven now this series is about discovering god's blueprint for building his church not two by fours not stucco not brick not stone but the body of christ we're talking about principles we're up to principle six the power of the of a testimony in acts chapter 3 verse 6 Four 13. I'm going to re- review a little bit. Acts 3 and 6, Acts 3 verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Acts 4 and 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus so I want you to notice the events that happened in this story first off Peter and John had are, are already in a habit of prayer and unity setting the stage for everything that followed in three and one the lame man expects listen this lame man sat there every day every single day but today the bible says he expects to receive now when you go to god and you go to church when you go into a church i want you to to change something for me i want you to walk into those doors sit in that pew and i want you to be like this man and i want you to expect to receive of Christ. Amen. I want you to expect to receive the help as this man did. The Bible says in in, in 3 and 2 through 5 that the lame man expect to receive help with his physical need before he even thinks about his spiritual need. He expected to receive from God he expected to receive from Peter and John and Peter and John are willing to give what they have what do they have they said silver and gold I have none but what I have is Jesus Christ so such as I have I'll give unto you so when you walk in that church on Sunday or on Wednesday when you walk into that church I want you to believe to receive say it with me Believe to receive. Hallelujah. If you believe to receive, God is going to grant you. You may not have silver and gold, but such as ye have, God will give unto thee. So the layman, the, the layman expected to receive help with his physical need before he even thinks about his spiritual need. And Peter and John are willing to give what they had. And God's miraculous, listen to it, God's miraculous work in one man's life affects all the people around him. If you walk into that church believing to receive, it will re, it will affect everyone around you in that church. In Acts chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, Peter uses the opportunity to share the testimony in 3, Acts 3, 12, 13, and four nine and ten notice that paul also shares his testimony of conversion six times in the book of acts and each time does it in a different way to relate to the audience that he has around him (coughs) the bible lets us know that this man had been crippled for more than 40 years but jesus didn't do anything for the crippled man until until his disciples reached out to him in chapter 4 verse 22 until that man expected to receive this day was different this day when he was there this lame man he'd been there every day peter and john had passed by him every single day glory to god are you getting They, they passed by him every day what was different? This day he expected to receive from God. This encounter coupled with prayer brings more boldness to witnessing in chapter 4, verse 31. So, how do you learn to pray? Start praying. How do you learn to witness? Start witnessing. A personal testimony is still the most persuasive means of communication, it is unique. There's no others like it. It is personal and it's easy to understand. I'm telling you, I'm the authority on it. So it is difficult to argue with. It's your testimony. So it's your, you're the authority on it because nobody else knows about it. It's your testimony. It's what, how God, you came to know God and what God did for you. So nobody can argue with it. People love to hear a personal story and they'll remember it. People can relate to it. So it builds a relation a relational bridge. And in a postmodern world it is the most effective way to witness. Now, <coughs> excuse me, there's four parts of your testimony. What your life was like before you met Christ. What your life was like before you met Christ. Don't have to go into a whole lot of detail. I was a sinner, I had a blackened heart. What common circumstances would an unbeliever identify with? I was a drug addict. Where were your, your, your attitudes? What were they like? What did an unbeliever would identify with? What was most important to you at the time? What substitute for God did you use to find meaning in your life? Some people's sports, fitness, success at work, marriage, sex, might making money, drugs, alcohol, having fun, entertainment, popularity, hobbies, whatever it was that, that was your God. Is it that green stuff, money? Is that what was your God and then finally how you realized that you needed Christ now you want to spend more time how did you finally realize you, you needed Christ in your life what significant step led up to your conversion what needs hurts or problems made you dissatisfied with the way that you were living without God what made you dissatisfied with the life you had and what led you down the road of redemption? How did God finally get your attention? What motivated you? Then you want to spend even more time on how you, 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 you committed your life to Christ. What specifically did you do? What specifically did you do? where did it happen what did you say in your prayer now I know I'm repeating a lot of this from from uh, number three but I think it's it's so important the difference what difference did Christ make in your life I want to talk from Principle six over to principle seven. Honest motives. Remember, this is a series about discovering God's blueprint for building His church, and you're part of that. You're one of those buildings. You're 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 one of those stones or those building blocks in God's church. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter five, verse two. Acts chapter five, verse two. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now this is the second time in the book of Acts everyone sold everything and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Acts 2 verse 44 and 45. Basically everyone who had a job gave their entire salary into the common pool and everyone who had property, sold it, and gave proceeds to the same fund. Now, Ananias plan was simple. He decided to give only part of his money but to tell the Apostles he gave it all. By doing this he would be able to securely save money for his wants in the future while the church met all of his his needs in the present. His sin was not having land, land possessions, or money. His sin was not in choosing not to give the particular offering no one of was being forced to give his sin was not get, giving only part of his money that was personally choice as well Ananias's sin was twofold covetous wanting for the flesh what belonged to God and hypocrisy appearing to do outwardly what is true inwardly now these sins are often closely tied together under an area we call motives the word motive simply means the real reason for action in a similar way we say this is what motivates me my motives lead me to action Ananias' sin begs us to ask ourselves two questions. Am I serving my flesh or God in my everyday choices? Am I the same person in secret as I appear to be in public? Coveting is the uncontrollable desire to acquire. The impulse of wanting is, is a very necessary part of being human. Without this particular form of energy, people would be inactive and unmotivated to do anything. However, it is also true that human nature desires more than it needs. Animals and plants function automatically to take from their environment only what they need to survive. That's why I like Native American. I'm Apache. I'm Hickory Apache. I like our way of life because we only take what we need from mother earth we only take uh from from uh, for instance meat we only kill that which we need we only take what food we need so there's queer there there, there, there are clear limits to their acquis, acquisitions dictated by instinct but not so with human beings In today's world, it's called greed. When a journalist asked the late John D. Rockefeller how much wealth was enough, the millionaire, who was at the time one of the richest and most powerful men in the world, answered, Just a little more. Just a little more. There are no surveys indicating that people are any happier with more stuff. One interview asked several instant millionaires how many of you are happier today than you were yesterday. Not one responded positively. One winner replied, every time you get something nicer, it isn't good enough. You have to get more. Because you see and you want something even nicer. Excuse me. Coveting is serious business with God because it is one of the most complex and grievous of sins. The Bible lists it with vile passions and warns that unrepented covetousness will exclude a person from heaven if you turn your bibles to first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 verse 9 says know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor ad- abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Coveting is what you might call a seed sin, because it can quickly lead to other sins. In fact, the Bible tells us that coveting was the original sin behind the fall of mankind in genesis the book of genesis chapter 3 verse 6 and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat both the old testament and the new testaments point out that coveting is the root of many forms of sin, included lying in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, in theft in Joshua 7 and 21, domestic troubles in Proverbs 15, 27, murder in Ezekiel 22 and 12, lust in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, greed in Proverbs 1, 19, envy in Titus 3 and 3, and jealousy in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. So there are all manifestations of desire that is run amok because of coveting. In Matthew 6 verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So the antidote, listen carefully, the antidote to coveting is contentment. And contentment is something you have to learn. It does not come naturally or automatically. None of us are by nature a contented person. Philippians four eleven and 13. 11. I am not complaining about having too little. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. Verse 12. I know what it is to be poor or to have plenty, and I have lived under all kinds of conditions. I know what it means to be full or to be hungry, to have too much. Or to have too little verse 13 Christ gives me the strength to face anything you see Paul learned through his experiences that contentment is not related to our circumstances contentment is not passive or lazy it's not absence or ambition instead contentment means that at every stage of your life Your happiness is measured by an appreciation for what you have and not postpone by dwelling on an inventory of what you are missing. And there's four ways to conquer coveting. Resist comparing yourself to others. Comparing always leads to coveting. One One of the greatest lessons you can ever learn is to be able to admire without having acquire if the only things in life you enjoy are the things you own you're going to be miserable because you can't own everything why do we constantly compare ourselves to other people because the way we keep score in our society today is by possessions we're insecure so we're always looking around and asking how am i doing compared to so and so But net worth has absolutely no relation to self-worth. You can be possessed by your possessions, sacrificing values, morals, integrity, even relationship, just to obtain more things, more stuff, more materialistic things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 9, people who want to be rich fall into all sorts of temptations and traps. They are caught by foolish and harmful desires that drag them down and destroy them. When you can truly enjoy the success, happiness, and the blessings of others, you know you are on the right track. But when you feel resentment, you are ensnared by the sin of covetousness. Ahab coveted Naboth's poverty, 1st Kings chapter 21. David coveted Uriah's wife, 2nd Samuel chapter 11. Saul coveted David's popularity, 1st Samuel chapter 18. Miriam coveted Moses' ministry in Numbers chapter 12. What do you covet? In Proverbs 14 and 30, it's healthy to to be content, but envy can eat you up. Rejoice. Listen to what I say to you today. I say it in the name of the Lord. Rejoice in what I do have. Rejoice in what you have. None of us would have anything if it were not for the goodness of God. God wants us to enjoy what he has given us. Think of how you feel as a as a parent when your children enjoy what you give them. In Ecclesiastes 5:19, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and a good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life that is indeed a gift from God. Some people Fall into a trap of when and then thinking, which says when I get, then I'll be happy. But that's faulty logic. That's fa- faulty logic, because things never satisfy. What are you What are you waiting for to be, to make you happy? You're falling into a trap of covenants. You're as happy as you want to be. Say it again. You are as happy as you want to be. You have as much of God as you want to have. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. It is enjoying whatever you have. One of the marks of maturity is being able to say enough is enough. I have what I need. There are two ways to have enough in life. Get more or want less. In Ecclesiastes six nine, it's better to enjoy what you we have than to always want something else, because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. Release what I have to help others. See, God wants, God God doesn't want to just bless you for your own benefit. He wants you to share your blessings to others to help others. He's watching to see what you give away. Silver and gold, I have none, but such as I have, I give unto thee. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19, Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and their trust should be in the living God, who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. They should be happily in those in need. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given in them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be giving a a fruitful Christian life down here as well. This verse is talking to those who are rich. That's us. North Americans are in the top 2% of income in the world. Even if you're on social assistance in Canada, you're rich. Is it possible to be rich and not be materialistic? Yes, because materialism is an attitude, not an amount. Giving is the cure for materialism. In Acts chapter 20 verse 35, remember that our Lord Jesus Christ said more blessings come from giving than from receiving. Refocus on what is going to last. Everything earthly, everything earthly is temporary. We must give our attention to permanent values and recognize our lives around eternal priorities. 2 Corinthians 4:18 For we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. The worst thing about materialism is that it clouds our vision of God. And we begin to think that all there really is to life is getting and enjoying things, materialistic things. Our perspectives get warped. At a funeral in Beverly Hills, California, people were gathered around the casket of a very wealthy widow who was worth millions. And one person said, It's so sad. She had so much to live for. The person standing next to them said, No. She had so much to live on. She had nothing to live for. So, my question to you on this mid week service. What are you living for in luke chapter 12 verse 15 then he said beware don't be greedy for what you don't have real life is not measured by how much we owe or what we own excuse me so i want to challenge you to challenge the myth that says having more will make you more happy You have to make a choice. Is your lifestyle going to be determined by culture or by Jesus Christ? What is really important in light of eternity? What do you talk about the most? What do you spend the most time on? What are you really living for? Is it Jesus? Is it the church? Is it the only earthly institution that is eternal? There will be no marriages or children in heaven, but the church will be in heaven. What are you doing today that will be around in 1,000 years? Some people are like Ananias. They want the church to meet all their needs while they're saving up for themselves on the side. But that's not the spirit of the real Christian. To paraphrase the words of John F. Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek stage that means play actor. Its root word means to simulate, feign or pretend to take up another statement in reference to what one has decided for oneself as an actor would recite lines written for him in other words a hypocrite is a mimic they go through the motions of everyone around them but they have no corresponding reality on the inside this was the sin of Ananias the church can only be built on truth That is not only referring to Acts chapter 2 verse 38. It is referring to our lives as well. We must truly live what we preach if we want God to honor our efforts. It is worthy of note that the first sin in Israel, the church in the wilderness, Acts 7 38, immediately after the great victory at Jericho and entering the promised land was over covetousness and hypocrisy. Atkins attitude brought defeat to the camp until it was judged the first sin in the New Testament Church immediately after the great Holy Ghost outpouring of Jerusalem and entering the New Covenant relationship was over covetousness and hypocrisy God Is definitely trying to tell us something there? in Matthew 6 5 and 6 and when thou prayest thou shalt not be like the hypocrites are For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, (coughs) that they may be seen of man. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth the secret, shall reward thee openly. Philippians 1 and 10, that ye may approve things. That are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word sincere has an interesting history. It comes from two Latin words that mean without wax. In the Middle East, items fashioned out of clay could easily become cracked as they dried. Jasonic merchants would accept the cracked items at a much lower price, then fill the cracks with wax before offering them for sale. Honest merchants would display their uncracked wares with signs that read "sincera," that is, without wax. Aaron was the mouthpiece of Moses. He did what Moses wanted and said what Moses dictated, but he did not have the word for God himself. That is why he exposed with the golden calf, or that's why the episode with the golden calf happened when Moses was not around. You helped build a church. When you know the Lord our God. I pray, I pray that you too, like Peter and John will go through and give such as you have. For silver and gold we may not have, but such as we have may we give to others. May we give them Jesus Christ. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you till he brings us back again. God bless.